Morning, everyone. Hope you're well. Uh, just want to say, on behalf of me and Shabba, it's been great to be with you guys over the weekend. We felt really at home. Thank you for the welcome that you've given us. And as me and Sharon were commenting this morning, this church feels very much like our own uh, back in Nidri. So it's like a home from home here in Canada with you guys. It's been a real blessing to spend time with you. Ecclesiastes chapter 1, starting at verse 1. This is God's words. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? Generation goes, generation comes, but the earth remains forever. Sun rises, the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. Wind blows to the south and goes round to the north, and around and around goes the wind, and on its circuit the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, they, there they flow again. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be. What has been done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which is said, see, this is new? It has been already in the ages before us. There's no remembrance of former things. Nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. Amen. Amen. Let's ask for God's help. Dear Lord, thank you for your word. We thank you that it is living and active, sharper than a double-edged sword. And so come and take your word and pierce our souls so that we might cling all the more to the Lord Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. So there are uh, certain moments in life where we get crystal clear clarity on what really matters. There are certain moments in life where you get crystal clear clarity on what really matters in life uh, and our, in our faith and in our walk with the Lord. So, for example, I visit, uh, I've been visiting a couple of men in prison this last year. And it's great because I get to be one-on-one with this guy in a, in a, a box they put me in, a glass box. Um, and we sit across the table. And the guy who's sitting there has crystal clear clarity on life. He knows what he's done wrong. And he knows what he needs to do to fix it. Take him out of that context and back in the real world, he'll forget all that. (laughs) But in that moment in the cell, as he's thinking about life, he has crystal clear clarity on what really matters. Or you go to a funeral, you get at a funeral, don't you? There's moments in life where just the world stops and we think about the fact that we all die. And you think about your family, you think about your friends, you think about your church and your faith. And you really think about the meaning of life, don't you? And what, what really matters. Uh, in those moments, what's most precious to us? 
Or you get it when you go through suffering as well. I remember um, sitting on holiday after I just found out that my mum had breast cancer. And I remember sitting and reading Romans 8, 18. I consider the sufferings of this present time not worth comparing the glory that is to come. And that verse just made sense in a way it hadn't made sense before as I was grappling with my mum's suffering and our suffering as a family. Things that I was holding on to I could let go because I was thinking about what really mattered. I had crystal clear clarity on what really mattered in life as I thought about my mum's sufferings. But here's the problem that we have. We had these certain moments. We had these certain moments of crystal clear clarity in life. And then they come and then they go. And then we go back into normal life and we forget the lessons that we've learned. The man in prison comes out of prison. says, yeah, yeah, I won't take drugs again. I won't drink again. I'm going to do the things I used to do. And he meets a friend on the street. And the friend says, come on, let's go uptown. Let's get a drink together. And he's back in the cycle all over again. The family member after the funeral, uh, especially where we're from, as soon as the funeral's over, they have the wake down the pub. We're no longer thinking about death anymore and the loved one we are going to get melted out of our heads as we drink pint after pint after pint. After the time of suffering, we've had that time of crystal clear clarity. We go back into the worries of life and we forget the hope of heaven that we had in that moment when we thought about life and death and, and heaven to come. See, when our heads hurt, the things of life and things are getting a bit too much, we just switch on the TV. When we are facing life's big problems or big questions, we dull the pain with alcohol or drugs. When we're struggling, we plunge our efforts back into work or family. So we don't have to think about these big things anymore. But what the book of Ecclesiastes helpfully does is that it helps us to have that crystal clear clarity in life. If you read through the book of Ecclesiastes, I love it because it's a real book, a real preacher, struggling with the real things that we face in life. And he doesn't uh, beat around the bush in any way. He doesn't give you just the easy Christian answers like Jesus or heaven. In fact, he grapples with real life. The book of Ecclesiastes helps us to really think about what really matters in our life and what we should be living for. But in order for us to do that, in order for us to get to that point of crystal clear clarity, what he has to do to us in this book is give us a slap in the face. He has to give us the the bucket of uh, cold water in the morning to wake us up to the realities of what really, really matters. And basically what he does in the book of Ecclesiastes, if you read through it, is that he wants to destroy our view of the world and then build it up with solid foundations. Think of our lives like this as as a building that is not built very well at all. Its foundations are shaky, the building is squint, it's a mess. And you can't just change the windows or give it a lick of paint. You need to blow that building up again and start all over again. You destroy the building, put the foundations in right and build it up so it's proper. That's what Solomon does in this book. And particularly in this opening 11 verses of this chapter. Even as Christians who know the gospel so well and who know the Bible so well, can get things so terribly wrong, can't they? About what really matters and what is really important and what we should be living for. And you'll see just even in verse 3, 
the opening question that he gives, and, he, and then he goes into his poem. He says, what is to be gained by life under the sun? In other words, there's that big question. What's the point of life? What's to be gained by life under the sun? What's the point of life? And what he does in this poem very skillfully is that he shows us four things about this life. I'm going to look at these four things. And then I'm going to end by looking at this poem through the lens of Scripture, uh, through the lens of the Gospel, sorry. So we've got four things in this poem um, that it highlights about life. And then we'll look at four things when we flip it in and put it through the Gospel. Uh, and hopefully it'll help us just have a bit of crystal clear clarity about what really matters and how we should be living our lives. So the first thing the preacher says here is, life is a breath. You notice that verse in verse 2, vanity of vanities, says the preacher, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What a great line. Meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless. All is meaningless. What does that mean? Well, the Hebrew word behind that word vanity or meaningless is the word chabel. And this is one of the main words that is used in the book of Ecclesiastes. It's mentioned 38 times in the book of Ecclesiastes. And this word can be translated lots of different ways into the English. It can be translated meaningless, uh, futile, temporary, senseless, mist, smoke, or breath. What most commentators think it means in the English, or the best translation of the word, is breath. Uh, And it's even in the way you say it. If you say chabel, it makes you breathe out. I don't even know if I'm saying it right. I'm not Hebrew or done any Hebrew studies, but apparently if you say the word right, it gets you to breathe out. What he's saying here in this verse, uh, verse 2 is life is a breath. Life is a breath. That's what our lives are like. Lives are, our lives are so short, aren't they? One minute we are here, and the next minute we are gone. I mean, what is it that elderly people say? They say this, life has gone so quickly. Only yesterday I was a boy. Only yesterday it felt like I was a girl going to school. What do we say every month? I can't believe how quickly this month's gone. I can't believe we are halfway through 2019. Only yesterday it was Christmas. Only tomorrow Christmas is going to come around again. Life is short. Life is a breath. Life is also a breath because it's elusive as well. I mean, again, think about our breath on a cold day. You go out into the mountains, the hills you have out here. You go up on a cold day and you breathe out. And you get the, the cold mist, don't you, that come out, comes out of your mouth. You get that over here, yeah? You get that in Scotland all the time. <laughs> I nearly had it this morning in this building as the windows were open. <laughs> well, have you ever tried to, to breathe out and then grab that breath? Probably haven't tried it, but try it next time. Can you do it? Can you grab that breath? Of course you're not. One minute's here, and the next second it is gone. That's how life feels like sometimes. We think we have a hold on things, but we don't, do we? Everything that we build our lives on can go out uh, out of uh, uh, the window in one moment. 
Think of life like trying to build a sandcastle on a beach, you know? Go to the beach, build this massive sandcastle next to the water, and then the tide comes in, and you've spent hours digging the little moats, doing the little turrets at the top, getting the perfect stick to put the flag on, and then what happens? The water comes in, and your life's work, your, your afternoon's work is gone in just a matter of, of moments. That's our lives. That's our lives. And what Solomon's doing here in verse 2 is he's saying, wake up. Wake up and stop pretending. We think life's going to go on forever, don't we? But it doesn't. We think we're in control of our lives, don't we? But we're so not. Everything is a breath, a mist, a chasing off the wind. Psalm 144 Verses 3 and 4 puts it this way. O Lord, what is man that you regard him? Or the son of man that you think of him? His days are like a passing shadow. He points out is, life is repetitive. Life is not just a breath, but life is also repetitive. It's an endless cycle of doing the same things again and again and again and again. And again, and again. And Solomon shows us this brilliantly by getting us to look at creation. Look at verses 4 to 7 again. The earth we live in is repetitive. The sun rises in the morning. You might not see it, but it does rise. And then it sets. And it's been doing that for thousands of years for billions of people. It says the wind is repetitive. It blows north, uh, and then the wind blows south. It looks free, but it blows round in circles. It goes round and around and around and around and around. Or you just think about the sea. The river flows into the sea, and yet it's never full. The water flows into the river. The river flows into the sea. The water is evaporated. It goes up in the atmosphere. It rains, and the river flows back into the sea again. It's an endless cycle. It's like a runner who goes around a track again and again and again without ever stopping. That is like our creation. Do you see what the preacher's saying here? The sun, the wind, the sea do the same things over and over again, but they never seem to arrive anywhere. It's the same thing. There's no progress. And that's like our lives. Look at verses 9 to 10. What has been is what will be. What has been done is what will be done. There is nothing new under the sun. Can one say about anything, look, this is new. It already exists in the ages before us. Our lives just go round in circles. I mean, think about our, our lives. Many of us work. We wake up. We have our breakfast. We go to work. We commute home. We have dinner with our family. We might go to a Bible study. We might watch our favorite program. We go to sleep, the same thing happens again. We have breakfast, we travel to work, we go to work, we come back, we have our dinner, we might do a Bible study, we might go and watch something, we go to bed. Or think about a parent. Some of you, quite a few mothers here, will identify this. It's an endless cycle, isn't it? A cycle looking after kids. Snotty noses, discipline issues. Changing the diapers, feeding, bathing the kids, 
You get them down at 7 or 8 o'clock at night. Big breath. And it starts again at whatever time they decide to wake up in the morning. Hopefully it's 7 or 8, but usually it's 5 or 6. Well, some people don't have a job. We get up, turn the TV on, see all the time in Nidri. We get something to eat from the shop. They collect their dole money, their welfare. Say same things to the same people. And they go to sleep and the same repeats. Endless, repetitive cycle of life. I mean, have you ever been asked this question by someone you haven't seen for a while and they ask you this question? What's happening? What's been happening in your life? Anything new? Nah, same old, same old. Nothing new. So I might reply, well, there's things always new happening in the world, aren't they? Well, we're, we're always progressing. We're always moving forward and discovering new places and new things on our planet. Look at smartphones or, or look at modern discoveries on cancer treatments. There's new stuff like that, isn't there? But here's the thing. It's the same old repetitive, same old, same old stuff. A smartphone phone is just old technology. New technology on an old thing. What, what do we use smartphones for? For communication. Have we not been doing that for thousands of years? In fact, the smartphone is killing our communication, not helping it. It's the same old thing. It might look new. It's been going on for hundreds of years. Or new cancer treatments. Yeah, they're great. Praise the Lord for them. But the new disease is going to come out, and we have to have another treatment for something else. We're always fighting the next disease. It's an endless cycle. It's repetitive. That's life. Not only is there breath, not only is it repetitive, but also it's unsatisfying, the preacher says. Look at verse 8. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. In this repetitive nature of life, we are always chasing new experiences because we are never satisfied. I mean, we love novelty, don't we? I, I do anyway. I love novelty. You ever walked into shops and you've got hundreds of t-shirts, you've got hundreds of jeans, you've got hundreds of pairs of trainers, but you go into that shop and you see that new pair of shoes and you think, I need that. I want that. Got loads of shoes already in the cupboard, but those ones are going to change my life. <laughs> or you've got a perfectly good toaster. Perfectly good toaster that works, and you go into a shop, and there's a new toaster in the range. It's got a new defrost button. <laughs> I need that toaster. That, or we need that new TV with the 3D or the 4D or whatever it is these days. I need that new TV. It's bigger than the other one. It looks better, the, the pixels are better or something like that. Or you've just come back from holiday, you've had a great break, you've come back, you've come back into life again, and what are you doing already? You're planning for your next holiday. People, including Christians, are always trying to escape the monotony of life. New holiday, new relationships, new house, uh, new TV programs, new smartphones, new experiences. Maybe this new thing will sort out my life and that thing inside of me that just feels unsatisfied. But 
Now, no matter how many shows we watch, no matter how many songs we listen to, no matter how many games we play, no matter how many holidays we take, no matter how many relationships we have, no matter how many children we have, we're always chasing the next one, the new experience, the next thing on the block. I mean, it's interesting, isn't it, in life? I don't know if you get this, but when you're on a holiday, you're thinking, I can't wait to get back into the routine of life. Can't wait to get back into it. Then you get back to the routine of life, you think, I can't wait to the next holiday. We're always chasing the next thing in our lives. And that's an exhausting experience, isn't it? Life can feel, again, like one of those treadmills where it's on, it's on super fast and your legs aren't keeping up with life. It's going so fast, you're trying to keep up with it, you just can't seem to. And your legs buckle from beneath you. Life can be wearisome when, it's on, when we're on the rat race. Here's a kick in the teeth. We're always chasing, always chasing, we're always chasing. And yet, what do we gain from it? What do we gain from our endless chasing? Nothing. <laughs> so chasing after the wind is a breath. And finally, on top of that, life's not just a breath, not just repetitive, it's not just wearying and unsatisfying. But also, it's unmemorable. Look at verse 11. There's no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. We are born. We grow up. We work. We live long enough. We retire. We're put in a home by our loving members of our family. We die. And then we are forgotten. In one or two generations, no one is going to remember you or me. Very few people in the world are remembered for their accomplishments. And even if you manage to gain fame, like Steve, will soon be forgotten. Even if you get a book like Mez, you'll soon be forgetting, forgotten. I mean, think about the Beatles. Do you get the Beatles over in Canada? Probably the younger generation have no clue what I'm talking about. The Beatles, at their height, the lead singer, or one of the musicians, John Lennon, said, we are more popular than Jesus. I don't know what will go first, rock and roll or Christianity. They were famous. They're still pretty famous. They still sell their hits today. But soon they're going to be forgotten. And how do I know? Well, ask some of these young kids if they can name the four Beatles. I won't have a clue. Life moves on. Yesterday's music's not so cool today. Fashion comes and go. Work, colleagues come and go. Ministers come and go. Family, live and then die. After a funeral, it's painful. But as sad as it is, we get on with normal life, don't we? Then our memories dim over time, even of our loved ones. Then we're forgotten. I mean, have you be, ever been to a graveyard? I don't know if you get these in Canada, but big graveyards, and you just walk through the graveyards, and you've got uh, the graves on either side of you, and you just have a stop and you have a look at the names and the little saying underneath that summed up their life and their date of birth and their date of death. And you walk through and you read these things, and you have no clue who they are. <laughs> they might have been 
important to someone, but they're not important to us, are they? That will be us soon enough. Dead in the grave, forgotten. Our accomplishments won't be remembered. No one will know who we are. Do we see the picture that Solomon is painting here? There is nothing to be gained. Life is short. Life is repetitive. Life is wearisome. And then we die. Nice happy thoughts for a Sunday morning. (laughs) I told you, this book is a slap in the face. This book is water in the morning to wake you up. And that's why, isn't it, when people really stop, when people really stop and think about their lives and what it means, that is why people get depressed. That is why people commit suicide. That is why we try and escape our little lives by drinking alcohol or popping pills. That's why we live our lives through fantasy. That's why we live our lives by trying to work too hard so we don't have to think about life too much. That's why we take holiday after holiday. It's because we're feeling this poem. We might not have articulated it like this, but we feel it, don't we? We feel it in our souls. We can understand now why Solomon says, meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless. That's not the, point, that's not the, pre- uh, the preacher's point here. The preacher does not want you to go out from this place and jump off a rock. <laughs> the preacher does not want you to take drink and drugs. doesn't want you to get depressed. doesn't want you to escape life's problems. Remember, he's destroying our foundations so that he can build them up again. So what's he playing at here? Here's the thing. It's as we see how short our lives are, that we can begin to turn to the place where there is true meaning. And that is in the God of the Bible. It's as we see that our lives are a breath, that we can turn to the place where there is true hope. And that's Jesus Christ, isn't it? Think about how the gospel turns each one of these points on its head. Firstly, life is repetitive, but it has meaning in Christ, doesn't it? It is repetitive, but we have meaning in Christ. If we live our lives without reference to God in this world, we will chase everything and gain nothing. This world is meaningless without God. It doesn't make sense. But when we look under the sun, above the sun, sorry, and insert God into this poem, life makes sense. Think about Psalm 19. There the psalmist says, The heavens declare the glory of God. Now think about that poem again. The repetitive nature of the universe points us to the glory of God. The sun goes up, the sun goes down, and it points to a beautiful creator. The wind goes round and round and round. It points us to a God who is in control and who created all things. And so, when we insert God into this poem, and Psalm 19, we remember that in Christ there is goodness. In Christ there is joy. In Christ, there is meaning. Life under the sun without God, no meaning. Look above the sun and see there is a God who created all things and there is meaning to our lives. 
And we look above the sun to the God of the universe, we see that, that God has done a new thing in Jesus Christ. This world is toiling. We live in a sin-cursed world, but for those of us who are trusting in Christ, we have hope. God has done a new thing because we're in the new covenant, sealed by his blood. Remember that? What he said to his disciples at the first communion? This cup is the new covenant in my blood. He's died on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. He's died on the cross to take the full wrath of God. He's died on the cross and he's redeemed us from the curse of the law. And he's given us a new birth into a living, a new hope that will never perish or spoil or fade. That's the hope we have as Christians. The old has gone. The new has come. Do we see? In the endless repetition of this world, we have hope in the gospel. Secondly, life is wearying, but we have contentment in Christ. Life is wearying, but we have contentment in Christ. A guy called Augustine wrote this. Our souls are restless until they find their rest in you. Our souls are restless until they find their rest in you. And that's true for the Christian. When we know the Lord, we can find true rest for our souls. We can stop the constant chasing for novelty because we find everything we need in the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul writes this, I count everything as loss compared to the surpassing greatness and treasure of knowing my Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. There's nothing better. We find our all in all in Christ. Life is unsatisfying outside of him, but in him, when he is our greatest treasure and our greatest beauty, he satisfies our souls like nothing else. Thirdly, we won't be remembered here on earth, but guess what? We will never, ever be forgotten by our Savior. Remember the thief on the cross? Was he asked Jesus, remember me when you are in paradise. Remember me when you go to paradise. Jesus never forgets us. We are in the Lamb's book of life. We'll be forgotten by the world and our accomplishments. But we'll never be forgotten by the person who matters most, the Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ. He never forsakes us. He never forgets us. He always remembers us and everything that we have done for him on planet Earth. And that's important in ministry particularly, I find. As ministers of the gospel, we have ambitions. We have dreams. We want a book written about us sometimes. We have been called to be ordinary Christians who are going to be faithful to our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And who cares if anyone else remembers our accomplishments? Who cares? We'll be dead anyway. We'll be in heaven. We'll be worshipping the Lamb. No one will remember us, but He will. He will never forget us. And finally, life is a breath, but there is eternal life to come in Christ. Life is a breath, but there is eternal life to come in Christ. Here's the thing we need to remember as Christians. This is not our final destination. This is not our final destination. 
we need to remember this is not our final home. We are pilgrims. This world will dissolve like snow, and all that will be left with is the Lord Jesus Christ in the new heavens and earth with his people. And so we need to live life differently, don't we? Here's a slap in the face from Solomon. And what he's saying to us here is we need to think of life differently. Here's how we live life usually as Christians. We live life forwards. I'm going to plan my life out. I'm going to do this and that for the Lord. Get organized, get comfortable, try and live as long as I can. And then we'll work things out along the way. That's how we think of life. We think forwards. The Bible says we should live the other way around. We should live life backwards. We live life knowing we're going to die. That is certain. And we live in light of that day to the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't live life forward as Christians. We live life backwards. The end in sight. And we live along the way. In other words, understand life and what matters most. We have a glorious inheritance to come as Christians. Do we know that? Do we believe that? See, I don't think we as Christians realize how great heaven's going to be. Here's what I think we think um, heaven's going to be like. It's going to be some clouds, some cherubim, half naked, with some harps in their hands, and we're singing boring old hymns for eternity. Something like Kumbaya. And we're going to get bored. It's going to be like an endless church service with an endless sermon for me or Steve. But that's not what heaven's going to be like. This is how the Bible describes it. What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. We cannot even begin to imagine how wonderful heaven is going to be. Every wrong is going to be made right. There'll be no more boredom. There'll be no more sadness. There'll be no more sickness. There'll be no more death. There'll be no more sin. There'll be no more evil. And best of all, we get to worship the Lord Jesus Christ for eternity. The one who died for us, the one who was risen three days later so that our sin could be defeated. We will see his beauty in all of its fullness and worship him for eternity. That's what we're living for. That is what we're moving towards. And so we can understand why Paul writes this, to live is Christ and to die is gain. We often don't get that because we think heaven's going to be boring. <laughs> and we think we're going to be here forever. Life is short. Live it for Christ. Because death is gain. Paul could say that because he knew what was beyond the grave. He could see that because he had crystal clear clarity on what really mattered on life. He could see that because he read Ecclesiastes chapter 1. The opposite is true a lot of the time for Christians. We say we believe in eternity, and yet what do we do? We invest all of our money and all of our energy and all of our concerns 
and all of our thoughts in trying to make our lives as healthy and comfortable and as prosperous here on earth. We build our little homes for ourselves, our little castles, get as comfortable as we can, sit on the seat, put the feet up, because we're going to heaven anyway. That's not what the Bible presents to us. That's the middle class dream. That's the American dream. Or the Canadian dream. Do you have that? That's not the biblical dream. That's not how the Bible presents things. If this world is temporary, as I've just said, and the Bible says, if this life is a breath, then we should be doing everything in our power to get ready to be with King Jesus. Don't store treasures up here on earth, we store them for heaven. We should be generous with our money. We can be loose with money, our money because this is not our home but heaven. We can spend time with the lost and the perishing because this is not our home but heaven. We should be ready to make risks for the gospel, crazy risks for the gospel, because this is not our home, heaven is. Everything else in life is meaningless and worthless in light of the eternity of heaven. Everything. I started with this famous hymn line, but I'll end with it. Only one life, soon be passed, and only what's done for Christ will last. Do you live like that? Do you live like life is a breath? If you don't, and you battle with this, pray this prayer. Psalm 90, verse 12. Teach us to number our days carefully so that we might gain a heart of wisdom. Amen? Amen. Should we pray? Dear Lord, I just want to Thank you and praise you because you are our great creator. Thank you for this beautiful world you've put us in, which shows us your beauty, shows us your order, shows us your sovereignty, shows us your power and your majesty. Thank you, Lord, that you are our great redeemer, that you've sent the Lord Jesus Christ to die for our sins so that we can have life now and for eternity. Thank you, O Holy Spirit, that you live inside of us. You are the guarantee of our inheritance to come. Just pray here as a church. You might help us to have crystal clear clarity on what really matters. Pray that you might help us to number our days so that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Help us to heed the words of Ecclesiastes clear. Help us to enjoy life as you've given us, but to enjoy it to your glory. Help us to treasure Christ more than any earthly thing that we hold dear to us. Help us to remember the beauty of heaven to come and that all of life's sufferings and struggles and sins and battles will be forgotten in an instant as we see the beauty of Christ and gaze at him for eternity. 
Help us, we pray, because we are sinful and so weak. In Jesus' name, amen.